On this episode, we're going to take a nice long look at the 2009 horror film Jennifer's Body. But first, happy Valentine's Day. Recording this one on Valentine's Day, you're probably listening not on Valentine's Day, but a happy Valentine's Day nonetheless. And I was able to watch a bunch of Valentine's Day related horror films this week, and I hope you did too. I'm sure some of you did. It's why you're here in Slasherville. You're a weirdo like us. And one of the films I watched was Valentine from 2001. And I maybe watched it a long time ago, and I said, ah, let's watch this schlocky 2001 film. You know, it's not going to be great. And let me tell you, the 2001 film Valentine is actually pretty good. Uh, the reason I watched it, the Rotten Tomatoes score for it was so low. I said, there's no way it's that bad, right? There's no way it's that bad. A uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of 12. A whopping 12. I said, now you have my curiosity. And I had heard that some of the people uh, in the film, uh, Catherine Heigl specifically, uh, disowned it. Ugh, it's so bad. It's so shitty. I regret ever doing it. And I said, now you really have my attention. It's so bad that you've disowned it. Let's take a look. And Valentine, it's it's actually pretty solid. Now, it sounds like it's one of those movies that got a little... Chopped up after the fact, studio involvement, Lord knows I've seen it. Lord knows I've seen it. So the finished product, not exactly what the filmmakers intended, but still a pretty good one. And I don't understand Katherine Heigl's issue because, one, she dies like right away. And she was like, I didn't know what they were going to do with my character. And it's like, bitch, you read the script. You die. Like right away. It's not like there's a big reveal later. It's like, you were actually the killer. It's like, no, you were a victim in this horror film. Now, what Valentine is about is what made me enjoy it because it's a very simple premise that they actually execute <laughs> very well. And it's, it's very 1980s horror. Not like the big slasher villains like your Michael and your Jason and Freddy, but all the other ones where it's a human killer because somebody was wronged you know they're out for revenge it's it's one of those revenge slashers and the opening of it is hilarious because it starts you know back in the day a little little flashback we're gonna start when all of our main characters are kids and it's the school dance and there's this nerdy kid this nerdy boy boy oh boy he's just oh he's gonna work up the courage and he's gonna ask these girls out and he goes up to each and every one of our leading ladies you know in little girl form and he asks them to dance he says mary will you dance with me and they're like ah fuck off Ugh. actually they spurn him with very specific lines that are gonna come back and be how they died like one chick and this one was a little on the nose i think it was denise richards uh, character she says i'd rather boil to death than dance with you and i said oh that's a little on the nose <laughs> i'd rather be stabbed seven times running down a hallway than dance with you but that's the bit that's the gag uh, he goes up to each and every one of these girls and he asks them to dance and they shoot him down very rudely and then he goes up to you know the last girl and she's she's a little fat as she says, 
She says, I was fat, so don't come at me. Women in horror can be fat. Uh, he goes up to the last girl, and you know she's also lonely. And he says, Sarah, will, will you dance with me? And she says, you know what? I ain't dancing with anybody else, so let's go. And they end up under the bleachers, and they're smooching. And I'm like, this is, ni- this is nice. Like, let's just cut credits here. What a lovely little short film I've watched. But then the bullies, the bully boys, see what's going on under the bleachers. They're like, hey, I think somebody's kissing on it. Let's go see what's going on. And, and they ruin the makeout sesh, which, come on. Have a heart, guys. Uh, interrupts the makeout sesh. Hey, look at that. She's making out with the, the nerd kid. And she says, uh, no, I wasn't. He forced himself on me. He's, he attacked me. Ah, uh, and everybody, you know, gives the kids shit, and you know he's crying. He's he's an emotional wreck, and that is our opening. That's what sets the scene. And all those films back then sort of had that in the '80s, like I mentioned, like Prom Night, uh, Terror Train. There, there's always some shit where it's like, ugh, probably shouldn't have done that to that kid all those years ago, because now he's pissed. Now he's fucking yoked. He's coming for you. And that is sort of the case here. Because after that, we flash forward. Everybody's an adult now. Now we have name actresses, Katherine Heigl and Dennis Richards. And what I loved about this goofy-ass movie, the amount of red herrings is ridiculous to the point of hilarity. Like, I have never seen so many red herrings. This has more red herrings than a fish market. It's it's great. If the girls aren't talking, they're introducing another guy where you're like, maybe that's the kid. Maybe that's the kid from the opening. and Maybe it's her boyfriend. Maybe it's uh, the new boss. Maybe it's that. Oh, it's this guy at the bar. Maybe that's, maybe that's the kid. I like that. You know, we've been talking a lot of Scream and having these suspects. You know, trying to solve it. Is it him? Does that timeline match up? Similar thing here, although nowhere near as clever, really. But it it was fun to try to figure out which guy it was going to be. Now, it was probably going to be the guy that you've seen before. Like, we know who Denise Richards is. We've seen her. Katherine Heigl, we know who that is. We've seen her. Most of these other fellas, I've never seen them before. But David... A brands, I had seen him before. He was Angel in Buffy and Angel, right? I've never watched those shows, but I'm familiar with his face from that franchise. So I was like, oh, well, it's probably him. And spoilers, it, it is. Another reason I like this movie was the kills. This had some pretty good kill sequences. And especially Katherine Heigl's, I don't know what the fuck she was so upset about. She dies, like, right away. She's uh, a doctor. She's a mortician or something. I'm trying to remember. She's alone. Yeah, definitely a morgue. And isn't that great? Isn't that just the best? When you have that scene in the morgue and where the bodies and, oh, the bodies are moving and all this shit. It's crazy. So she's a mortician or whatever. She's alone with the bodies and she's cutting them up and and doing the thing and spooky stuff starts to happen. 
and what's that noise and all, all, all that horror stuff that we love. And they do it pretty well. And then she goes to uh, cut the abdomen of one of her patients. And right before she starts you know, digging into the abdomen with her scalpel, the body starts breathing. The stomach goes up a little bit and she freaks out like, whoa, whoa, this corpse is alive. Oh, Jesus Christ. And she starts to get spooked. And then the body kind of disappears. And all oh, what's going on? Cat and mouse. Cat and mouse. And that was super cool sequence. And, of course, the killer shows up, gives her the business. Now, the gimmick with Valentine is the killer wears a like cherub mask like a Cupid. Because at the dance in the opening scene, somebody did have that mask on. And maybe the little kid saw it across the room and said, That's pretty cool mask. When I kill these broads, when I kill these women in horror, and... 15 years i'm gonna wear that mask and chop them up so the killer grown big guy has this chair mask and he starts hunting down katherine heigl gives her the business and super cool opening death scene and a lot of them are like that a lot of them are worth the price of admission so i don't understand how it got a 12 percent horror bias so i just wanted to recommend Valentine, not that you're going to watch it, especially now that the holiday has passed. And it had a good little twist at the end because the little boy, you know, he would get these nosebleeds. little nosebleed. And it's like, okay, well, we're going to see that later on in the film. But then at the end, it looks like we've got the killer. He's been shot. And we no longer have to worry about this murderer. And Angel is holding our main character. I've got you, baby. I've got you. We got him. We stopped the killer. And then blood starts dripping on her shoulder and on her face, which is super gross. And the camera pans up. And sure enough, he's bleeding from the nose. He was the killer. He had framed the supposed killer. It was Angel all along. So a decent little ending. A decent opening. And in the middle, you know, people are going to get killed and... You know, you're going to do your horror movie stuff. And it was, it was fun. I, I liked Valentine. Uh, try to watch it next year. Give it, give it a shot. Maybe you'll forget the twist. Sorry. I'm so sorry. And holy shit. Budget of $10 million, Box office of $36 million. How did we not get eight more sequels? Because they kind of set it up a little bit. What happens to this guy? And the survivor girl. The final girl. What, ha- what happens there? Valentine 2. Another film that I watched this week, and it has nothing to do with Valentine's Day, but it uh, was recommended to me, it's Guillermo del Toro. So I was gonna get to it. It was just a matter of when. I had heard this film wasn't a horror movie, so it kind of got moved down the bench a little bit as far as priorities go. But I, I kept hearing good things, especially from people close to me. They said, Dale, you have to watch Nightmare Alley. So I did. Uh, HBO Max, I believe, one of the streamings as usual, and it is not a horror movie. It is like a period piece noir about carnies, this carnival. Bradley Cooper playing this like mentalist starts at the bottom. He's got this iffy criminal background, and he starts working at the carnival and works his way up. He says, "I want to do the, I want to do the mental scams." Oh, do you know somebody with the name D? It's David, my husband. Mm, David has passed, hasn't he? Oh, he, 
sick. Well, he's going to pass. Sorry to tell you. Um, you know, that, that old shtick. And he really learns the ins and outs of it. And things spiral out of control. Now, this I will not spoil at all. So you're safe here. You're safe here. Now, Valentine, a movie that came out in 2001. I mean, I want to spoil that. I got to spoil that. But Nightmare Alley, give it a go. Because like I said, spirals out of control. There is a sequence somewhat near the end. It's probably near the end of Act 2. The traditional Dark Knight of the Soul sequence when things get worse for the protagonist before we get to Act 3. If you're screenwriting by numbers. And Bradley Cooper and his love interest, they come up with this plan. It's like, all right, we're going to do this plan, then we're good. We can get out of here. We can live our life happily. And holy shit, it does not go according to plan. And I've never seen anything like it in film. The way it made me feel, just watching this train wreck in real time. Because you can see it not working. You can see the plan failing second by second and you want them to just abort mission just go just cut your losses get out but they don't and ooh, it is a wild one so nightmare alley take this journey with these characters the ups and downs and uh, super extremely satisfying final act so even past you know that Uh, Act 3 is awesome, and the ending, oh my god, the ending! I will not spoil it, but oh my lord, uh, one of the best bookend callbacks that I've seen in years. In years! When I realized what was happening uh, at the end of that movie, I was just like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. What great writing, what great filmmaking. Based on uh, a novel that's... Well, damn near 100 years old. Guillermo del Toro put his spin on that novel because it's not a remake of the film that they made off that novel back in the day in the 40s. This is its own entity with that del Toro flavor. And yeah, there's some weird visuals. There's some spooky stuff, but yeah, definitely not a horror film. Do not go in expecting one. Go in expecting this little character study of these carnies. And just the grime life of uh, trying to come up rags to riches and probably back to rags, maybe riches again, and we'll, you know, we'll see. So Nightmare Alley, give it a look. So you guys know that as far as movie trailers go, I do not like when they show everything in the goddamn trailer. I don't like it. Nobody likes it. You don't like it either. It's the fucking worst i'm a big advocate of cutting those trailers in half like make your trailer how you think you should and then just fucking chop it off right there at the middle mark because you're not going to be able to help yourself i i hate traditional trailers because they feel the need to sprinkle images and clips from every part of the movie into the trailer so there's a little bit at the beginning in there some middle stuff and we even snuck some of the act three things in the trailer too but we probably put it in the beginning of the trailer to fool you Mm, it works every time except when it doesn't because we know what they're doing and and people examine these trailers and they solve it We, we we all did it with halloween halloween kills 
We knew exactly what we were getting into. We knew a lot of the twists. We knew we kind of knew how it ended, and they they ruin a lot of their own projects with these trailers. The reason I bring it up, I saw a trailer for a film called The Cursed. And the trailer was basically, not basically, it was just one scene. It was one clip from the movie. They made the choice, yeah, we're not going to do a real trailer. Let's just show this one clip because I think it encompasses everything about this film. If we show this one clip, they'll know. They'll know everything that they need to know. They'll be on board or they are not. And I think that is a very good way of going about it. I think there's a lot of ways to, to do trailers that you know, aren't traditional and spoilerific. Uh, but I, I love the idea of just show them one scene, one clip. They used to do this back in the day, too. Uh, it would be in addition to some trailers, but they would showcase just one clip. And I'm, I'm going to spoil this one. Watch it if you can, because it's super cool. Like, all, all they... All they did was show one little fucking scene. It's like an old-timey period piece back in the day. I don't know, you know, 1800s, something like that. And there's a couple guys in this barn, and, and they're very nervous and scared, and there's an animal or creature there on the ground dead, and you get a really good look at it, and it's some sort of monster. It is some sort of beast, some sort of evil creature, and it does look like it, it it's killed and the one guy says this won't be easy and then he pretty easily carves up the monster i don't know why he said it wouldn't be easy um but yeah he starts slicing and dicing this corpse and reveals that there's someone inside the monster Ugh. it's a woman in there and she is clearly changed you know she starts moving around and the guy that just carved her out of there you know, tells the other man to, you know, shoot her. Like, all right, shit, you know, it's happened. Shoot her. But uh, the other guy has reservations about it. And this trailer, this clip, reaches a boiling point with the guy yelling at him, this dumb ass, to shoot the monster woman. Shoot her! And it's a perfect example of if you like this scene, you'll like this movie, go see it. And I think that's great marketing. More of this, please. You do not need to show clips of beginning, middle, end because people will figure that out and the viewing experience is lessened from that. Just show this clip. And I wouldn't even know where this clip was in the movie. This is, it could be how it opens pretty much. This could be somewhere in the middle. I would hope it's not somewhere near the end. But it really let me know everything I needed to know. Period piece, monster. Uh, this town's probably in trouble. Don't know who these guys are, but they're trying to be brave about it. Maybe some leaders of of the town, the village, will find out. And I just think that's phenomenal. The film is called The Cursed. Try to uh, get your eyes on that one. Let me see if there's an actual trailer for it. Ah, geez. Ah, there is, isn't there? Yeah, two minutes and 12 seconds. See, they, they couldn't help themselves. You know what? Let's, uh... I'm... We're not going to watch this trailer. We're not... We are not going to watch this trailer. In fact, I am not going to watch this trailer ever. 
I'm going to see this movie basing it just off that one clip. And I want to see if they fooled me. Maybe I should have watched this trailer. I could have avoided some some trash. But I think it's going to be good. I'm just going to go to the end of the actual trailer because I want to see the date on it. The Cursed. It's got cool font. A Sean Ellis film. You're not going to give me a date on this. There it is. Only in theaters. February 18th. It's next week. That is four days from right now when I am recording. There are a lot of movies coming out on February 18th. February 18th, movie releases. Uncharted is coming out. Mark Wahlberg and uh, Spider-Man as Sully and Drake. That's great. Those trailers did not look good. I... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If anybody sees that and it is worth watching, please let me know. You know I'll watch it. What else on the 18th? Dog. This is the Channing Tatum dog movie where he's like a retired army guy and the dog's also a retired army dog that needs a home now. And he's like, I guess I'll take this dog. And it's just a little friendship movie. It's one that'll make you cry. And there it is, The Cursed. I'm going to read the log line. I'm going to read the log line. The cursed in the late 1800s. Nailed it. A man arrives in a remote country village to investigate an attack by a wild animal, but discovers a much deeper and sinister force that has the manor and its townspeople in its grip. Perfect. That's all you need. That's a good log line. That pretty much was the clip that I watched that I suggest you watch. So that's pretty cool. Also on the 18th, The King's Man. So another Kingsman movie. Love it. I think that's a period piece as well. This list does not even have Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They said, we only do theatrical releases here on MovieInsider.com. We're not going to promote Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Get out of here. So uh, no love. No love for leather on that one. But obviously on the 18th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Netflix. Next week's episode, it's going to be a lot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Probably going to be half the show. So try and give it a watch if you can. Now before we get to Jennifer's body, I just want to throw out a big RIP. A big rip to Ivan Reitman. The Ghostbusters and Animal House filmmaker has passed away. And I mistakenly said he passed away a month or so ago, so I'm feeling real bad about this one right now. Real bad. Did not want to see that when I woke up this morning. There it was. Uh, Hell of a filmmaker. Extremely influential to many of us. And he will definitely, definitely be missed. Big RIP to Ivan Reitman. Now, let's get to a film that when I initially watched it when it came out, I did not give it an honest chance. I don't think I even watched it. I might have started it maybe like a background movie watch, if that. The film is, of course, Jennifer's Body. We talked a little bit about it last week. So let's get into this. Now, first off, I got my hands on the unrated cut. And 
there's really not a big difference. That I wanted to see what the big differences were. Not a lot. No huge added scenes. No extended violence or extended uh, love making. I think there might be like an extra smooch in there with the girls. Uh, but that's about it. What they did was they put the focus more on Needy because there's two characters really in this film. You have Jennifer, played by Megan Fox, and Needy, played by Amanda Seyfried. And in the regular theatrical cut, it's, you know, it's Jennifer's body. It's about Jennifer. It's about Megan Fox. It's about the big star, our big starlet. But that's really not who the story was about. So in the unrated cut, where the director had a little bit more say, um, they put the emphasis more on Needy. Uh, the opening has more focus on her. There's some voiceover stuff. It really highlights her as the protagonist. So I'm going to do this like a little mini film breakdown like we do on Patreon because there's really not a lot that goes on story-wise, so it's not going to take us very long. So you have these high school girls, the popular girl Jennifer. She's so pretty. And then you have the nerdy one, Needy, played by Amanda Seyfried. And both of these girls are great. I like the characters, and I like the actresses. I think they both did a, a very good job. Something that Megan Fox probably doesn't get a lot of credit for. I don't think nobody really sings her praises as an actress. They go, gosh, she's so hot. She's so hot. And she is. They're both hot. Uh, but they fucking nail it. So uh, big props uh, to both actresses there. And Needy plays second fiddle to Jennifer. Jennifer kind of bullies her around, controls her life a little bit. Hey, we're going to this party. Hey, we're doing that. And Needy's boyfriend's like, can you just not be a bitch all the time? And you're, you're kidnapping my girlfriend again. Thanks. Bye, I guess. And one night, Jennifer wants to go to this bar to see this band, Low Shoulder. They're called Low Shoulder. She says, the lead singer's so hot. I saw them in MySpace. And they go to this bar, and I kind of didn't like how horny Jennifer was for this lead singer. It felt like she was under a trance, and I wish they would have explained it sort of as a trance, because what we're going to find out here is this band, Low Shoulder. The reason they even came to this dinky-ass podunk town was so they can get a virgin sacrifice. They're going to make a sacrifice to Satan. And they will be a super famous band. That's all they ever wanted was to be a famous band. But so they got their hands on a book. Actually, they printed it out. They printed out the spells, which was kind of funny. He said, you printed it out? He said, yeah, find it online. And so they get the incantation, and they're going to do a sacrifice. And they're going to try to be super famous low shoulder band. So the fact that they had this satanic angle to the band, I was hoping that they would sort of retcon why Jennifer was just so enamored by him. Because I'm like, it's just, I mean, I guess the lead singer's attractive and the music's okay. It didn't make a lot of sense for her to be just 100% DTF right, right out the bat, obsessed with him. But they go to the show and she meets the band. She says, before you guys start, I just, you know, you guys are super good. So I listened to it on MySpace, and yeah, we're just we're here to see you guys. And the 
lead singer played by Adam Brody. And it's like, yeah, cool. Yeah, maybe afterwards, you know, we, we can hang out a little bit. Uh, and Jennifer goes to get a drink from Diablo Cody, who's playing, who plays the bartender. And Needy overhears the band talking about like, oh, yeah, how about that one? Yeah, she's probably a virgin. Yeah, we'll take her back afterwards. Ooh, yeah. And Needy hears that. And she's just like, you monsters. And she gives them the business. And, you know, you know, she hears all this virgin talk, and she obviously thinks they're talking about plowing. But they're not. They need a virgin for their sacrifice. So that's what that is all about. And Low Shoulder starts their show. The band's playing. Everyone's having a good time. They're focused on the band. And a fire starts on stage, off to the side, off in the corner. And nobody really notices it except for Needy. And it starts to, you know, climb the curtain. And it's just that little, literal slow burn. It starts to set the stage on fire. And before you know it, Inferno in this bar. And my questions were, did the band start this? Did the band start this fire to cause chaos? And two, why didn't Needy do or say anything? She watched it start. She could say, whoa, 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 hey, hey, you got a fire over there. There's some sparks. But she watched it start and grow and grow and grow. And then something fell. Chaos ensues. People are getting trampled. Jennifer and Needy are able to get out. People are catching fire. There's some good fire suits, a nice burn suit. Dude in the background on fire. I love a good burn suit. I love it. That's that real shit. You, you, You can't fake that. I mean, you can, but you can obviously tell. So this is 2009. That's a real man on fire, and I love that. And then outside the bar, low shoulders, you know, at their van. And Jennifer's like, hey, what are you guys up to? And they are able to convince Jennifer with a very strong drink. A very strong drink. Obviously, I think something was in there. um, And she is much more um, vulnerable to their suggestions. And they're able to get her in the van. Needy does not want to go. She tries to get Jennifer not to go, but that does not work. And it's a very creepy visual um, of her getting in the van because she gets in there and then Adam Brody starts to shut the van door like, and it goes in slow motion and you can see, you know, over his shoulder, you know, Jennifer in there and she looks a little nervous and scared and vulnerable as this door closes and it's just a very scary visual of that door being closed and you know, no longer being safe and Adam Brody gives Needy a look like, hey. She's with us now. And then Needy ends up going home. But that night, uh, Jennifer shows up, and she's a bloody mess, and she starts puking up this black goo, and she's growling, and she's some sort of monster or something, and then she runs off. She just runs off, leaving Needy alone. And it's very, it's very strange, very odd. And Needy spends the whole night cleaning it up, worrying about her friend, crying about her friend. And the next morning, the next day at school, 
Jennifer's there and she's fine. And Edie says, what the fuck? What the fuck was that last night? What the fuck? She says, what are you talking about? You always overreact, needy, OMG, or some other clever line that made me cringe. And our movie now begins. One thing I will give Jennifer's body, I really like the story. I really like the story structure on how we parse out information. We'll have the occasional flashback, like that whole low shoulder uh, sacrifice thing I mentioned. We don't learn that until about an hour in uh, when Jennifer reveals it to, to Needy, um, which I love because for a while, you you know, Jennifer's going to be on some crazy shit. She's going to start killing people, start eating people. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? And you're trying to parse it out yourself. And then we, we, we do get confirmation of what actually happened. This fucking goober band tried to sacrifice Jennifer, because they wanted a, a virgin sacrifice so they could be famous. The problem, the problem, Jennifer's not a virgin. She lied about that. She thought it was a way to to get out of it. She said, oh, yeah, I, I am a virgin, so you should, I don't even know what I'm doing, so you should find somebody else who does. I'm not going to be any good, um, you know, even though that doesn't really track, because even in movie lore, you know, movie tropes guys love a virgin Ooh, she's a virgin Ooh, i'll be the first one Ooh. so that wasn't really a good uh a train of thought regardless but she lies and says she's a virgin even though she's not so when they do their human sacrifice to jennifer it doesn't work as intended now the band is still going to be super famous but it doesn't uh kill Jennifer, instead, the demon is trapped inside of her. So now they, they kind of share the same body, but not in the regard of, you know, like, please help me get out. No, bitch, I've been here now. It's, no, it's nothing like that. It's not a Venom situation. It's just she's, they're just one in the same now. And I like that angle a lot better. The lore in this movie is pretty good. Like, it's nothing terribly new. We've got demons. We've got a succubus. We've got some sacrifice. We have magic incantations. We've had all these things before, but there's rhyme and reason to it here. There's rules in play, and they stick to their rules pretty good. Like, just explaining human sacrifice to get famous, but it gets botched, so it kind of works, but here's the difference. Now they're kind of stuck together. And that is enough. Like, really strong lore in this film. And I, I loved it. I love that aspect of it very much. And I think they wanted to do a Jennifer's Body sequel or TV show after the fact. And it didn't work. But I wouldn't have minded it in retrospect. Because give give me more of that lore. Because they stuck very true to it it was is very realistic it made sense and they nailed it so after jennifer's return to school i mean this is just jennifer's body now so she's going to be seducing boys getting them all by themselves alone in the woods there's the footballer you know and she says oh you miss your friend huh let's let me let's go over here and talk about it 
And, you know, she kind of seduces him a little bit, even though he isn't really interested because he's heartbroken. His best friend died, which was a pretty cool scene because it could have been that like, oh, well, I mean, if you're going to touch it, that'll make me happy. Like they could have done a bunch of things there, but instead he stayed pretty heartbroken, even though she's putting his hands on her tits. He's like, okay, I guess. And then she just kills him. Eats him up. Eats him up. That's how she gets power. She eats the boys. Needy has a line. She says, she's eating the boy. <laughs> there are some good lines in this film. My main issue with Jennifer's body, and it was... The issue that I had the first time I tried to watch it, because I remembered as soon as I started the goddamn movie, the dialogue in this one. Woo-wee. And it's that it's that Juno. Everybody's so goddamn clever. And these quips and these phrases that nobody fucking uses. And I'd say it had about a 25% success rate as far as those jokes and quips landing, at least with me. Humor is subjective, and I think that is the story here with Jennifer's body. For the people that do like it, I think they enjoy those jokes. For me personally, they do not work. I hated most of them. They all, all these characters sound alike, which is fucking amateur hour. That's you know beginning screenwriter stuff, which made sense at the time. She was relatively... New writer, that's why this just sounds like Juno with murder. And uh, the adults were written much better because they couldn't sound like quippy teens, so they had to work a little bit harder for those jokes and bits, and those were significantly better. And I really started enjoying the movie when it became less of a comedy and more of a horror film because up until that bar scene in the fire... It was high school comedy bullshit, and I did not enjoy it. But once that fire hit, and she starts eating people, things start getting a little bit spooky. Nothing too scary. I honestly wouldn't even call this a horror film, but it is a much more enjoyable when it's not so comedy-centric. Let me check my notes here. I, had, I have physical notes that I was writing. During the film, oh yeah, I have to talk about this. Oh my god, it's the most controversial part of the film. When Needy is in the kitchen and she's making a sandwich, you know, and she's she's nervous because of all these things happening with her best friend, and she's making a sandwich and she drops a sandwich because her mom shows up and scares her and she oh and she drops half of her sandwich on the floor, and Needy takes the other half of her sandwich and goes and sits down at the table and starts eating it and talking with her mom. And I said, who the fuck is going to pick up this sandwich? There's still half a sandwich on the floor, needy. And they're just having a conversation. And the mom doesn't even say shit like, um, hey, you want to pick up this fucking sandwich you just dropped? <laughs> I raised you better than this. So that was really weird and bizarre. There's a bunch of like surreal moments. And I don't know if they're intentional or not. That was one of them. The whole fire, and like I said, that whole fire, Needy just watching this fire, that was another surreal scene. Uh, well made. Very interesting visuals. I, I, I have to give him credit. 
directed by Karen Kusama, who we mentioned last week, Women in Horror. And I'd say the women in this film did do a good job. Karen directed the shit out of this. Diablo Cody, despite the flaws with the dialogue, I, I loved the narrative. I loved the structure. Uh, I enjoyed the lore. The ending was good. Everything was fine. They just you know, sometimes that dialogue was a little too much for me. But I think I think they did great. Obviously, Megan and Amanda crushed it. So, women in horror, uh, more more props to you. Let's have more movies like that. We can have more uh, lady based horror films. One thing with the marketing in Jennifer's Body, they marketed it towards boys. Obviously, you've got Megan Fox, and she's you know sexy. She's showing off her legs and all the promotional posters and materials. And it's this movie's not for boys. This movie is for girls. This is about the friendship of Jennifer and Needy. This movie is about the romance between Jennifer and Needy. This movie is about girls surviving high school. This movie is about girls surviving each other and i i do wish they would have marketed it properly but instead they said boys are horny and well it worked out for them budget of 16 million box office of 31 so they doubled that right off the bat and that's not even talking about dvds and anything like that but i was surprised when i started watching it i said this is about these two girls specifically needy not the one on the poster and it's about their friendship and romance because there is, there are some lesbian subplots here. And it does sound like uh, the director, Karen Kusama, wanted to do that a bit more. But the studio was like, eh, how about friends with, uh, you know, hints? How about we don't go all out and say it? So they'll hold hands a little bit and they'll look at each other a little bit. And you'll know there's something there. And obviously there is a scene in there where she is where Jennifer is kind of seducing needy because I think she was about to eat her because as Jennifer does say she says he says I think I thought you only eat boys and Jennifer says I go both ways which they both obviously do and there's this nice little makeout session in here and it was enjoyable and it sounds like the actresses enjoyed it. Amanda Seyfried says, we both had similar kissing styles and it worked out and we loved doing it. And it worked out. It's a hell of a scene because they're smooching and she's kissing back and you're like, oh, okay. But then Needy you know, pushes her off, says, what the fuck are we doing? Like, what is happening right now? Like, she literally says that uh, and, and it's great. And that is also the scene where Jennifer gives that expo dump. She says, let me tell you what happened that night after the fire. You know, these fucking guys tried to sacrifice me for their fucking band. And they flashback it. And this was unfortunate because I love the idea of this scene. But the writing gets a little too cute and humorous. Like, this should have been a pretty scary scene. Instead, it's written for laughs. Yeah, I printed it out on the internet for the incantation. And... They start singing 8675301 as like they're stabbing her and sacrificing her. And I guess that's supposed to be funny. It doesn't work because Jennifer is crying and Megan Fox is nailing the performance because she's she's tied up, she's vulnerable, she's pleading with them. 
And then they're eight, six, seven, five, three, stab. I'm like, this is fucking stupid. So there are definitely some misses uh, in this. And I, I wish they would have fucking wrangled some of that. Because this movie is not really a comedy and it's not really a horror. It's definitely a coming of age story for girls that has some comedy and it has some horror in it. So Jennifer gives her the skinny. They tried to sacrifice me. It didn't work. And she explains to Needy. And this is one of my favorite scenes in this movie. Like I said, I, I do enjoy the story. And she says, then that night after the sacrifice didn't work, I, I survived it. And all I could think of was coming here and, and, and seeing you. Like I was just drawn to you. Like you are my safe space. You are uh, you know, my everything. You are the first person that I thought of, which was very sweet. And then, you know, Monster Jennifer shows up that night with her black goo vomit. And she says, yeah, and then you just fucking left. Like, what the hell was that about? She says, because I was hungry. I wanted to eat. Remember, I ate everything in your refrigerator. I was going to eat you, but I could never hurt you. So I left. That was a really sweet moment in this monster movie. She says, I was hungry. I wanted to eat and consume you, but I love you too much. So I was able to fight that urge and leave. Even as a monster, I could never hurt you. And that's just such a goddamn sweet sentiment. And that that's what this whole movie hinges on. And I think that's why Jennifer Body does work. This friendship, this romance, this whatever you want to call it, relationship between these girls. I, I, I loved it. Back to my notes here. There is a very good subplot between needy and her love interest obviously you know jennifer's there of course but she's dating this guy chip oh chip he's just like he's just a normal guy um kind of nerdy but not as nerdy as needy so he's kind of a step up for her i guess i don't know but he's pretty loyal and but there's also this sexual tension between needy and this goth kid this emo goth kid at school I just, I really, really liked how they played with that. And just before it could get somewhere serious, you know, what is, is she going to cheat on Chip? What are we going to do here? You know, she admits to Jennifer that, like, I think he's kind of cool. I think he's a nice guy, you know, because the emo kid had asked Jennifer out and she said, get the fuck out of here. You're a nerd. And Needy, you know, as the guy's walking away, she's like, oh, I think he's kind of cool. You know, you didn't have to be so mean to that guy. I think he's neat. And she says, oh, you like him? And then she invites him uh, to her place later. Jennifer just liked going for Needy's fellas. I didn't really understand this. Maybe this is a girl thing. I don't know. Because Jennifer does seem to love Needy. As we talked about, she wouldn't eat her. But she does not think twice about trying to seduce and kill Chip. She doesn't think twice about going after this emo goth kid. And it's kind of mean. It definitely makes Jennifer a heel. Because you watch it in real time. You can even see her smirk. Oh, you like him? Watch this, bitch. Like she just has this attitude about it. And Needy sort of takes it. And I didn't care for that. Because it's like I thought they were friends. And if she's going to start acting not like a friend... Because she's a monster, so it's fair, you know, give her a break. Then we can't be friends. Like, I don't care why. I don't care if you're going through something, if you turn into a monster. If you're going to be a jerk to me consistently like that, I don't think we should be friends. But she's, she stays loyal. She deals with it 
to the point where she knows she sees Jennifer coming at Chip down the hall. And she's got that look like, oh, Chip, I'm gonna watch me go for Chip. And Needy grabs him and kisses him, kind of claiming her territory. And it's like, if it's to that point where you have to do that, you gotta call that friendship. You gotta call it. But for movie purposes, we don't. We just keep it going. Also in my notes here, cute rats. I'm gonna just do a cute rats sighting. Uh, in the emo kid's death scene because Jennifer invites him to her place, but it wasn't her place. It was an abandoned house and there's some rats in there and he goes, oh, rats. And she goes, I thought you people liked that stuff. And I go, we do, I do. And they were the cutest rats that I've seen in a while. And I love when they try to pass off domesticated rats as gross rats because they just add sounds. They just do that and... I don't know, it works. It works on a lot of people. They do the same thing with dogs, which is always hilarious when you see, it's a, it's always a big old smiling dog with its tail wagging, but they just add some, and, and it sells it. It sells it. Also in my notes here, I am glad that a woman, Karen Kusama, directed that kissing scene between the two leads because if a guy did that, oh boy. Oh boy, he's gonna hear about it. I don't know, Steve, you went a little long with those girls making out. Are you sure that's important to the story? It is. It is. It's showing how close they are. Uh, It would have been a hard sell for that guy. But, you know, a lady directed the ladies kissing, so it all works out. What else here? The jokes ruin the sacrifice. Yep, I talked about that. I like the narration. I talked about that. Um, It was hilarious where Jennifer's doing the expo dump, you know, talking about the sacrifice. She does do it in hilarious fashion. There's some good lines there. Not all the lines are bad. Not all the dialogue is bad. But when it's bad, it fucking cripples me. Amanda's run. Oh, God, yes. So the finale in this is prom. There's a big dance. Act three, dance. Needy knows something's wrong with Jennifer. She's evil. She's a monster. And she tells Chip, don't fucking go. Stay home. I know it's the dance. Who gives a shit? And nobody listens to her, obviously. Chip goes to the dance. Well, he tries to. Uh, he walks through the park. You know, takes a little shortcut through the park. And who cut, who cuts him off halfway? Jennifer. Jennifer. And she gets him. And she brings him somewhere. But Needy, finding out that Chip did try to go to the dance, is, is retracing his footsteps. And she finds the corsage. Like, oh, he was over here. So that means they must be going over this direction. You know, there's like an abandoned pool or some shit in the distance. And Amanda Seyfried starts running towards this facility. And the way she runs, and I don't know if it's just because of the way she runs. Maybe she runs goofy like Steven Seagal. Or maybe it's because of her prom dress was messing with her shoulders a bit. But her running style had me dying. If you're thinking of watching Jennifer's Body but you're on the fence, watch it. For that that scene alone, you'll know it's coming, and it is hilarious. And then we get the finale pretty much right there. Um, like I said, they're at this pool, and Jennifer's trying to seduce Chip in there, and he says, nah, I'm not really interested. Thanks, but no thanks. And Jennifer attacks him in the pool, and she's starting to chomp him up, and Needy shows up, get off of him now, and they fight it out. And Chip is able to help out 
uh, dispatch. Jennifer stabs her in the chest a little bit, and he passes away. They have a very, very good moment. Needy says something like, don't give up now. You're not dead yet. And Chip says, I think I already died, but I came back when I heard your voice, and now I have to go again. Uh, something like that, but he's, you know, but when he says, I think I died, but I came back when I heard your voice, fucking killer. Killer line, Diablo. Hell of a line. Uh, th- the moments of intense friendship and sentimentality really hit, are really good. Those heartfelt moments are extremely strong, and I enjoyed them. But then Needy gives Jennifer the business kills this monster they have their little moment and the film ends with needy getting demon powers because they add to the lore one more time because if a succubus demon scratches you it doesn't turn you into a demon but it gives you some of their unnatural ability So she's super strong and that sort of thing. And she's able to escape this mental hospital because, of course, they throw her in a mental hospital. And she gets out, and the film ends with her getting uh, in a car. She's going to hitchhike. She gets in a car with Lance Hendrickson, of all people. And she says, I'm I'm going to this town because there's a band playing there. Maybe you heard of them. They're called Low Shoulder. Yeah, they're playing in town. It's going to be their last show. And they drive off, and that's how the movie ends. And I enjoyed that ending quite a bit because hopefully Low Shoulder gets their comeuppance, which if you watch the credits, they do. And Needy gets her ending, which is satisfying because she survives. And she's got demon powers. Once again, Jennifer's body too. So I am very glad that I gave Jennifer's body a second shot. Because I did enjoy it. It is hard to get through some of uh, the dialogue, but story structure, uh, the narrative, the lore, big fan of that. And I'd like to see more of that sort of thing in these horror films where just have a little bit of lore. Have one creature, succubus, and have two or three bits of lore with some wrinkles and tell your story. You know, the sacrifice and the transference of power. And, oh, if you get bit, it's only, you know, half transference. And if you sacrifice incorrectly, it works, but not how you think it does. So, like, there are rules to this. And I I need to see more of that. I need to see more of these things going wrong. I think that's what I enjoyed. I enjoyed the sacrifice going wrong. I enjoyed Needy getting scratched. So that was only a half measure and... Amazing performances by by these ladies. Directed well, written well. And give Jennifer's body a shot. If you haven't. But, and I, but I understand if you struggle with the first 10 minutes and call it quits. Because that's what I did the first time. But lore-wise, solid, solid stuff. Next week, we are going to talk Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We're going to watch it. We're going to break it down, similar to what we just did with Jennifer's Body. We're also going to take a look at the horror film trailers that appeared in the Super Bowl. I'm sorry, the big game. The horror movie trailers that appeared in the big game. That's going to do it. Uh, Follow us 
at Slasherville Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Patreon. It's all at Slasherville Pod. Gotta hit up that Patreon. Five bucks a month gets you movie breakdown, random drops, keeps the roads paved in Slasherville. I'm gonna be putting out that Salem's Lot review soon and a couple other drops in the the next couple days here. So keep an eye out for that. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Chip.